I've had several people come to me over the last few weeks, it seems. Off and on, this, all, this will happen, but several of you have come over the last few weeks to talk to me about Gateway and about connecting. Thank you. We're really honored that you're here and that you're considering that. It, we don't take that lightly. But more than one of you has said, you know, really like it, but it, it just feels odd in one way or another. A couple of folks who have been from Catholic backgrounds who feel like what you do here on Sunday morning is kind of cool. I mean, the music is cool, but it's just so weird. I just, I can't get used to it. And, you know, that guy up front, he'll start clapping, and I don't, I don't have any rhythm. I don't know what to do. So we're going to talk for the next couple of weeks about worship. We're going to define it biblically. We're going to almost do what amounts to a worship seminar for a couple of weeks. I'm going to give you a thoroughgoing, theologically rich biblical definition of worship that comes from several different sources and I've just stolen lock, stock, and barrel. And then we're going to unpack that phrase by phrase. And this is going to be a family meeting. This is like I remember when our boys got into kind of middle school age, there were a couple of times where Diane and I had to sit down and have family meeting. Look, here's how we're going to do life for the next few years. These are the rules, guys, the rules of engagement. This is what we need from you. This is what you're going to get from us. We're going to do that this morning and next week. We're going to talk about the rules of engagement for worshiping here at Gateway, why we do what it is that we do, and what is it that we do, and what's the biblical foundation for that. So let me start off with just like a big picture definition for worship, for our offering ourselves to God. Defining worship. First, worship is a whole self-engagement with God on the terms that he prescribes and in the way that he alone makes possible, including adulation, devotion, and reverential acts of submission. Whole self engagement with God on the terms that he prescribes and in the way that he alone makes possible, including adulation, devotion, and reverential acts of submission. Okay, let's pick that apart. Morning, everyone. All right, we're in. You know, it's weird to me that our 9 o'clock service, this has been a, a surprise to me. I had other people tell me that this would not be the case. But our 9 o'clock service is actually the smaller service by quite a bit. So thank you guys, you're the hearty ones. But it's also, I've found, the more active service, I guess. I mean, occasionally, there'll be an obnoxious from Kevin Barr or Ray Schmidt or someone will get a woo -hoo! We never get that in 11 o'clock, sir. So we like you guys. Point number one, I'm going to make four points this morning. We're going to make more than that next week. But point number one, worship involves our whole lives. It's a whole self, we said. A whole self-engagement with God. Worship involves our whole lives. Notice there's no mention of Sunday morning in our definition. Because worship is a lifestyle. A lifestyle of relating to God. All of ourselves, all of the time. There's the definition of worship. That means our worship of God includes our individual, our private lives, not just our Sunday morning lives or our lives when we go to church. In other words, in our individual lives, we nurture a relationship with God. We worship Him. That's what worship is. 
I mean, let me say something generally first about, and this first point is kind of big picture. We're going to get really, really specific and practical about what we do here on Sunday morning. But this first point kind of lays the foundation for it. I'm going to say something generally about worshiping God here. All relationships, stay with me, all relationships have a basic framework and they have rules of engagement. For instance, the way we relate to certain people is we just laugh. You just have friends that you laugh with all the time. Uh, the way we relate to other people is by working. You know, it's a different kind of relationship. The way we relate to some people is pretty formal. Yes, sir. No, sir. May I help you, sir? The way we relate to others is very informal. Those are the kinds of rules of engagement, if you will. That's how we connect. There's also a framework. There's a context. There's something on which every relationship hangs. You don't relate to your boss and your neighbor and a mother of one of the children in your kid's kindergarten the same way. Those relationships have different frameworks. They have different contexts. So, with God, the basic framework of our relationship is creator-created. Divine, sovereign, mortal human being. Therefore, the rules of engagement are that we worship Him. That's how the relationship works. I would relate differently to Diane, my wife, than I do the Queen of England, if I were a British citizen, even not being a British citizen. That's how the relationship works. In our individual lives, we worship God. That means we engage with God with our whole selves on the terms that He prescribes and in the way that He alone makes possible. That's why, for instance, at Gateway, we talk about a devotional life so much. As a church, we have, some of you know, we have a church covenant. And our church covenant essentially outlines seven habits of living that we kind of agree to with one another. We're going to be about. And one of our core habits is, quote, practice creative devotion. Because it's critical to our life with God, but it's also a critical aspect of worship. You cannot have a relationship with God without relating to God. And relating to God centers around worship. Remember, creator created. That's how the relationship works. So individually, we worship God. By the way, this personal worship has many benefits in our lives. I want to look at just one psalm to give you an idea of the ways that we're benefited in our personal lives by worshiping God. So I'm going to look at Psalm 84. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want you to get a couple of themes that fall out of this that are spontaneous responses by the psalm of the benefits that he gets from his life of devotion to God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. It cries out to be in a place of worshiping God. Listen to this. Even the sparrow has found a home and swallow a nest for herself where she may have her. In other words, there is this at-homeness. There's a rest that comes to us from worshiping God. Drop down to verse 5. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage to go to him, to go be with him. Worship is a place of strength. One of the Old Testament writers says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So when we're worshiping him, when we're connecting to him, there is actually strength in that. There are times, I know all of you have had times where stress is just so heavy your bones get weary. Worship does. Real worship. When you really connect to God, for those of you who never have, I want to tell you this by way of testimony. Some of you know this. Real worship of God is liberating. You sense his peace. Your bones are light. There's strength in worshiping God. 
Drop down further. Better is one day in your courts and a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor. Not There's protection in worship. So when we worship Him, we come under that relationship rightly and there's protection there. There are benefits, many, in your individual lives when we develop the habit of worshiping Him because worship is a whole self engagement with God. We worship God with our whole lives. That includes our individual lives. However, our relationship with God also includes a corporate dimension as well. A public dimension, if you will. We worship God together. This is why we encourage gathering together here on Sundays and other times. We don't have enough time to go through the biblical exhortation to do that. But you know, something happens here when we're together that cannot happen for you when you're alone worshiping God. But let's look at one psalm that's kind of a call out for us to get together and worship him. Psalm 95 says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's do this together. Stand with me if you would. We're going to say this part of this psalm together. Ready? Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Hold on there for one second. Notice not only is this a call for us to worship together, but it also gives us some elements of what happens in a worship setting. Let's keep going. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. He can't help it. He goes from this call to worship. And here's what we're going to do in worship. And he immediately launches in to talking about, we'll get to this in a little while, but talking about how awesome God is. Keep going. The sea and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. You may be seated. We don't do a lot of kneeling at Gateway. That's temporary, you guys. Many years ago, John Elliott, who's not only a great guitar player and bass player, but he's also a carpenter, he built me this awesome kneeling bench. And we lost it in the move from over there to over here. Sorry, John. We're going to have to redo that. And ultimately, I will see half of this room lined on some Sunday mornings with kneeling benches because this is an appropriate posture in worship. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get there in a minute. By the way, one of the primary purposes for us gathering together in worship is corporate encouragement and strengthening. I'm going to say that again. One of the primary purposes for us gathering together in a setting like this is corporate encouragement and strengthening. Something happens here that cannot be accomplished on our own. I want to read you from a, a great book on worship. It's a guy by the name David Peterson. It's called Engaging with God. He says this about our corporate settings. Listen to what he says. The purpose of Christian gatherings is the edification or building up of the body of Christ. We minister to one another as we teach and exhort one another on the basis of his word using the gifts that the Spirit has given us in the way that Scripture directs us. Edification is to be our concern even when we sing or pray to God in the congregation. 
All this is not purely a human activity, however, for God is at work in the midst of his people as they minister in this way. Edification is first and foremost the responsibility of Christ as the head, but he achieves his purpose as the various members of the body are motivated and equipped by him to play their part. We meet together to draw on the resources of Christ and to take part in the edification of his church. That's, that's how the math works. You don't come here on Sunday morning and just do you. When you come here on Sunday morning, the purpose of us coming here is to do us. Again, here's how the math works. If I come here and I do me, then there is one person trying to go for it and build me up. But if I come here and all of us do us, then there are 150 people here right now building me up. And I'm building them up. The math works. That's what happens in worship. Again, worship involves our whole lives. I'm almost finished with one. This means not just all of our time, public and private, but every part of ourselves, our will. So you did it this morning. You set an alarm clock. You came. You said, I'm going to go to church. Some of you might not have had a great attitude, but you're here. Thank you. So that's in part an act of, of the will. And now we're going to sing in a minute. That's going to be an act of your will. You're going to sing. And you're going to make declarations as you sing. And you're listening now as an act of your will. You're opening yourself up. Also our mind, our emotions, even our bodies are involved in worship. This is true when we're alone and we're, when we're together. Think of what we heard in, in Psalm 95. Let's sing. Let's bow down. Let's kneel. Let's acknowledge with our minds, he says at the end, that he is God and we are not. Every part of ourselves is involved in worship. That's why some of the songs that we sing, Jordan pointed this out the other night and we were talking about this. That's why some of the songs that we sing here on Sunday morning are emotional. What's the chorus of Reckless Love? Oh, the overwhelming never. It's just an emotional. Oh, that's not, you know, we don't usually greet one another like that. Oh, sometimes our songs are emotional. Sometimes they're cerebral. Sometimes they're filled with ideas about God. That's not accidental. This is our attempt to engage all of ourselves. That's also why our worship involves our bodies. Again, kneeling, standing. A little while ago, Jordan got us clapping. We didn't do it very well and we didn't do it very long. But our worship involves our clapping. It involves our bodies. It wigs out Protestants. If you were raised in a good Bible Belt Baptist church like I was as a little kid, you know, you are just kind of weirded out sometimes by when you see Catholics do the sign of the cross. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's really a beautiful physical demonstration. By the way, did you know, according to Wikipedia, as I'm watching YouTube videos in my life experience, it doesn't really work that well, but Catholics do it open-handedly to say that they're open to God. Listen to the theology in this. This is thought through. To say that they're open to God and to represent the five somethings of Christ. Sorry, Jesus. <laughs> Orthodox do it with two fingers and a thumb. And that's to represent the three wounds of Christ when they're doing this Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What a beautiful physical representation. And what a testimony. You know, baseball hitters, after they've hit a home run, you know, they come trotting home and doing that. That's a testimony. I think Protestants should do this more. Some Lutherans do it. Some Presbyterians do it. Low school people like Gateway, we never do this. But if you want to come in on a Sunday morning, if it's going to make you feel more comfortable to come in, what an awesome thing to come in.
Do one of those things when you walk into worship and come sit down. And when we end prayer, and Jordan says, in Jesus' name, amen. If you went like that, I don't want anybody in here. Okay, let's get it out of the way. Everybody on three, we're going to say, what in the world? One, two, three. We're not going to have any of that. Worship, in other words, involves our bodies. We make up ways to say to God, I'm in, I'm yours. Sometimes when we're singing, we'll, we'll be doing this. And there are others who are going, that guy's awesome, I wish I could go for it. Why don't you? There are others of you going, that's flat out weird. On three, we're going to say, that's flat out weird. One, two, three. That's flat out weird. No more of that. <laughs> it's not weird. It is in a very appropriate biblical, physical response to whole self-engagement with God. By the way, music is just one form of uh, worship. There's prayer, there's offering, there's service as an act of worship. There's responsive reading. We'll do that sometimes here on Sunday mornings. There's dramas. We've occasionally had dramas. There's art. Nathan Tosco one Sunday drew a picture for me. The next Sunday we put it on the screen and we had Nathan explain how it connected to the sermon. Our work is a form of worship and testimony. When we testify, we do that a lot here on Sunday morning. We're going to have someone give a testimony in just a minute. So we're going to sing a song in a second, but Jordan, comments that lead us into this next song or about where we are? Just kind of want to hit on one of the points that you were saying. I read this uh, a couple years ago at Gateway and haven't since. Just want to acknowledge that we come from a lot of different backgrounds here and a lot of different styles of worship. So you will see people clapping their hands, and clapping is, is an act of joy, celebration to the risen one. Uh, the Bible is full of celebration. In fact, the Old Testament calendar was built around celebrating God's faithfulness. Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. You'll see people lifting their hands in worship. That's a sign of adoration or honor. It's a posture of dependence, a posture of surrender. Psalm 63 says, Because your love is better than life, my lips glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And Psalm 134 says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. So even these physical expressions are very biblical, and we bring them to our modern and, and contemporary worship. So just one point that I would like to make is as we were playing and singing up here, sometimes we have points where uh, we're just playing our instruments and there's no singing. And that's not a point to sit there and start waiting for us to sing. Though these songs and the lyrics in them are biblically based, they are not the Bible. And they are guides for us to help us enter into worship. So if there's empty space or just instruments, use as a, as a time to individually get in the right mindset, to sing your own lyrics that are coming to your mind or, or your, your own melody. That's a time for you to worship in, in this space on your own. It, it doesn't have to rely on the words that we're singing in that particular song. Mate, what would you add? Just that you don't have to be a great singer to partake as well. I think a lot of folks probably feel like, you know, they don't want to sing out because maybe they don't, and by the way, I'm, I count myself in that group. Uh, we're not all as talented as uh, Ed here. You can laugh. You can laugh at that. Go ahead. I pause for a reason. Um, but honestly, just, you know, sometimes some of my most powerful worship time is when I just read the words. I just sit with the song. I don't play my guitar. I don't play my instruments. 
and I just read what the song is, is saying, and you can do the same thing. Okay, let's stand together. I've got three more points to make, but they're all much shorter than that one. That was to give us the kind of general introduction. So let's try a song. We're going to do a song that's familiar to a lot of you. If it's not familiar, then as Nate said, just let... And by the way, I'll say this again during our time together. Music's not the only element of worship, but it's a dominant part of our worship setting. And we pick songs. One of the criteria is, do we like it? And uh, this is a song we like. So this is a song called 10,000 Reasons, really, really rich lyrically. I want you to use this as a time to try to dive into what we're singing about. So each of us individually and together, remember, our purpose when we come together is to edify and strengthen one another. So let's do it.
that's our prayer that we would worship you worship your holy name that we would be able to sing like never before that we would acknowledge you with our whole heart and our whole lives all of our will all of our mind and when we come together Lord that we would edify one another in Jesus name you may be seated Jason come on up if you would so we said one of the ways that we worship is through testimony Gateway, this is Jason Orr, and Jason is playing keyboards with us today. Jason spent his middle school and high school years here at Gateway as a teenager. Jason was a friend of Jordan's. Let's not hold that against him. And Jason, you're now going to City Hills Church? Uh, yes, that's correct. I uh, lead worship for a small church called City Hills in uh, Loudoun County. Okay, and... Your life has turned around fairly dramatically in the last few months. Yeah, quite a bit. I've had an uh, interesting 18 months, to say the least. Jason's church did a video of Jason, and uh, I want us to see that now. So uh, let's watch this video, and then I've got a couple of questions for Jason. So I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, my parents were actually missionaries, so I spent most of my young life growing up in Africa, South America, Europe, kind of all over the place. So, you know, I was raised pretty Christian in my life, and I believed it, and all through high school, I led worship, all through college, I led worship, and then in college, I had a really big falling out with the church, not necessarily with my belief in God, but just more in the belief that I knew what was best for my life at that point, and uh, because of that hurt that I experienced, I decided to run the opposite direction as fast as I could, so... I stopped going to church. I took control over my own life because I knew what was best for me. And uh, for a while it seemed like it was working. I was very successful in my job, in my career, and I was, you know, making a lot of money and I was very unhappy. And on the outside looking in, it looked like I had everything you would ever want out of life. But there was just something missing. And so inside I was miserable. And due to that, I started using a lot of drugs and alcohol and you know girls to try to fill that gap in my life and years and years of that and I felt more and more empty and so eventually it led to the point where I was working in Monlauten uh, at a bar uh, still doing this you know crazy fun lifestyle but inside I was just completely empty and to be honest I was killing myself with my addictions they had taken over my life completely and so one Sunday morning, I'm in there, I'd already been drinking, already doing drugs, and this group walks in on a Sunday morning, and I was like, oh great, like another table, I'm hungover, I'm tired, I don't want to deal with this, and 
I hear them singing this really cheesy early 90s worship song and of course I wanted a better tip so I was like hey I know that song and uh, so we got to talking I told them that I you know grew up a uh, missionary kid and so we got to chatting and it was Jeffrey and a couple people from City Hills and before they left uh, he gave me his card and uh, I gave him my number because he wanted to meet up for coffee so finally I gave in and we met up for coffee and that hour-long conversation that we had, I can honestly say, is probably the most direct that I've ever been able to hear God talk into my own life. And the message was clear, it was stop running. And so, over the course of that hour, I completely broke down. Totally embarrassing, crying in front of this guy that I just met an hour ago. But it was because of that moment that changed my life. And so within a week, I quit my job at the bar because I realized that was just not a good place for me to be in at that point in my life. And I spent the next six months going through rehab to overcome the many addictions that I was struggling with. And it was a rough time period, but it was because of God I was able to make it through that and the support of uh, my family. And so the direction my life has taken since then is just unbelievable. If you were to look at my life a year ago, I was this just drug addicted, unhealthy bartender living a crazy partying lifestyle. And in less than a year, I went from that to being healthy. I've got an amazing job now that I never thought I'd be able to get. And I'm just, I'm happy for the first time in, in years. I can only hope that because of what I've been through, this story can help other people that, you know, maybe struggling with addiction and trying to, you know, trying to hide it and thinking that there's no hope for them. So I'm just, I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life. And even more than that, I'm just so thankful that I've been able to find a home in City Hills and found a community that's just been so welcoming and supportive and just loving of me during this whole process. Awesome, Jason. So I was able to know about third hand. I was in the cheap seats hearing about your life. And I remember the period when you were doing really well and making a lot of money. And then I remember hearing hints of the period when you weren't doing so well. And I mean, what is up with Jason? So how did the little, the lead worship guy become the lead party guy? What drove you there? Like I said, I uh, led worship at my college ministry and I had a pretty big falling out with them over, stupid, over a breakup and some other things. And I guess at that point I was really unhappy and saying, okay, God, I've been following your path this whole time. and it led me to this point so you know I'm just gonna take over from here and that was step one and taking over from here didn't work so well <laughs> nope not at all <laughs> uh, it had the exact opposite of what I intended because I just kept running from his path was this direction I was running in the opposite and you know that's why I was so unhappy because I wasn't where I was supposed to be and I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing so what was it about Jeffrey is the pastor of yeah, City Jeffrey's Hills? Yeah, Jeffrey's the lead pastor at City Hills. So what was it about the, the conversation with Jeffrey that moved you? What happened there, Jason? It was such a powerful conversation in the aspect of um, he had so much insight into me as a person that, you know, a stranger shouldn't have. When he started talking to me, it was like hearing God speaking through him into my life. And like I said, I completely broke down. Because and you have I, enough history that you knew this is not just a smart guy, this is God. Yeah, and to be honest, I'd, I'd blown him off, I think, three times over the course of a month. 
and he just kept hounding me. And finally, I was like, okay, okay, I'll meet up with you for a coffee if you'll leave me alone. And <laughs> I think the reason I was blowing him off is because I knew what was going to happen. Like, I knew that if I went, I would have to face reality that I had been running in the wrong direction. So you're helping to lead worship now at City Hills. Why reconnect to that? Jason, what is that? Honestly, it's just, I just rediscovered my love for music. You know, I hadn't done music in a long time, and I just realized that God has given me certain talents and abilities, and for me, this is my way of being able to give back and, like you said, worship Him. And, you know, it's my honor to be able to play every Sunday and other people into worship, because if I can just help one person, you know, touch God and feel his touch, I mean, it makes it worth it for me. And so, yeah, it's just been, it's been great getting to lead worship for them. I kind of slowly ease into it. I didn't want to like right away jump in and start playing, but you know, they asked me and so I started playing piano, started singing for them. And now, um, yeah, I've been doing that for about a year now. Thank you, Jason. Let's give Jason a hand. Yeah. Let me make two more points about worship. Second point about worship that involves our definition. Let's get the definition again. Whole self-engagement with God on the terms that he prescribes and in the way that he alone makes possible, including adulation, devotion, and reverential acts of submission. So, second point. The scripture calls for worship that is true as opposed to false. It may seem obvious, but don't snooze on that. In other words, it must be done in the way that he prescribes. Scripture calls for worship that is true as opposed to false. In other words, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to worship God. Look at that quote, Isaiah 29, 13 says, The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. In other words, they're going through the motion of worship. They've gotten up on Sunday morning, they got dressed, they came, but it's not the real deal. It's false. Genesis 4 tells the story, some of you know, of two brothers, Cain and Abel. They both bring offerings, sacrifices, and, and acts of worship to the Lord. But God finds favor with Abel's offering and not with Cain's. There's such a thing as wrong worship. Some of that has to do with our hearts, of course. That's what God's saying through Isaiah here. We must be, number one, sincere and authentic. We must be, number two, understanding of what we're saying and singing and praying it's the mind remember and, and number three we, we've got to believe it our hearts have to be right in order for worship to be right but it's also true that some of the rightness of our worship is about logistics it's about mechanics but how we do it second Kings 17 in my own private quiet time with God devotion a couple of weeks ago I was reading this passage and in 2 Kings 17, Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, has just been ransacked by Assyria. And what Assyria did is took all of the Israelites and moved them to other locations throughout the ancient Near East. And then they moved different people groups into Israel and had them replant the nation of Israel. Well, while they were there in Israel, lions started coming, eating the people. And so they send word back to the king of Assyria, we don't know what the God of this land prescribes. We're getting eaten by lions. We must be offending the God. Send some priests here to tell us what to do. So some Jewish priests come to this region of the world to try to tell them what it looks like to worship Yahweh. And they do. They start practicing the worship of Yahweh. They're also throwing in high places and the worship of Baal at the same time. And their problems don't go away because they don't get it right. They're trying to worship, but they don't get it right. 
Let me offer some quick thoughts about the mechanics that must go along with worship. I don't mean this to be an exhaustive list, but just some things to get your gray matter going, to get us noodling on the logistics of how we do our time together and how you do your own individual time. When we worship, whatever we do must support unity. This is why at Gateway, you'll never see, honestly, you'll never see anybody running around like crazy on a Sunday morning because it would be distracting. Almost all of us would be thinking, in the world is that crazy person doing? And if someone does that at Gateway, I'm not going to interrupt, but at some point after the service, I'm going to grab them and I'm going to say, you know, tell me what was going on there and what was your experience there? And maybe let's dial that down just a little bit because whatever we do here has to support our unity. We're here to build one another up, strengthen one another. Second thing that I would say, oh, let me also add, that's why we don't all talk at once. That's why at Gateway, some of you come from Pentecostal backgrounds. That's why at Gateway, it's not our practice, for instance, for all of us during one of those times that Jordan was talking about where we're doing an instrumental, everybody sing in tongues at the same time. We don't practice that at Gateway. 1 Corinthians 14 actually advises against that. It gives some rules for how you handle those kinds of gifts in, in people and those kinds of worship expressions. We don't do it all, all at the same time because what we do here has got to be about unity. It's got to make us feel comfortable. It's also got to edify us. Let me give you another little rule. As we said already, our worship has got to involve head, heart, will, and body. It's the whole thing. If you think about this, you'll begin to understand why we do many of the things that we do. Third thing I would say that, I mean, in the most practical sense, it's got to honor God and it's got to brag about Jesus. This is why we sing songs about God here. You're going to hear in a few minutes, we're going to sing a song, Great are you, Lord, and we'll repeat that several times. We sing songs about God because of this, because we want to honor him and because we want to brag about Jesus. And then a final thing I would say logistically is it's got to be true to God's word. For some of us, I know that what happens here feels weird, and I get that. I want you to feel comfortable feeling weird. And we have to acknowledge, honestly, if that just continues to be the case, this may not be the environment for you. I said that to someone this week. It also may be that you just need time to adjust and to grow into this style, or it may be that you don't yet fully get the heart. Your heart has not yet been rearranged the way Jason's was in that conversation with Jeffrey so that now worship flows more naturally and easily. But the ultimate question for us, you have to know, is not whether or not you or I feel comfortable. The ultimate question for us is what does the Bible say about it? That's always going to be our guide. The fact that worship must be done in the way that he prescribes is why we are so serious about what we do and why we do it. I want you to know we think through what we do. We're very intentional about the songs that we sing. We're intentional about the elements that we add to worship and why we add them and when we add them. And this is why theology is so critical to worship. Theology is just how we think about God. This is so critical to worship. Worship and theology go hand in hand. Let me give you an example. This is especially for those of you who come from a Catholic background and a little explanation for all of us. For example, for Catholics, the sacrament, the, the Eucharist itself is the centerpiece of worship. And everything that happens in a Catholic Mass happens leading up to the sacrament itself. This is because Catholics believe in a doctrine called transubstantiation. And I say Catholics believe, Catholics of course are brothers and sisters in Christ, but we disagree dramatically about this doctrine. Catholics believe in transubstantiation 
They believe that when the priest takes the bread and lifts it up like that, he's lifting that up because it literally, at that point, becomes the body of Christ. And they believe that based on Jesus' statement to his disciples at that last meal, that last Passover meal. He said, this bread, this is my body broken for you. Well, doesn't that seem obvious? But the way Protestants would respond to that is, obviously, that's just a metaphor. He's saying the same thing there as when he said, I am a gate. He's not a gate. He's just using an example. We believe the same thing about those words when Jesus says, this is my body. He's using an illustration of metaphor. This is an example, but Catholics take that very seriously. So they believe that the experience of the, the Eucharist itself, the bread and then the cup, when the priest lifts it up, that is literally how they experience Christ in the closest, most profound way. They literally ingest him in the mass. So, because of that belief, that becomes the centerpiece of their worship experience. Well, for most Protestants, historically, and for us here at Gateway, really the spoken word is the centerpiece of corporate worship because God's word, we believe, and we believe the word teaches that, God's word is the primary way by which we hear from him. And in hearing from him, we experience him. And in experiencing him, we grow. So we make this the centerpiece of our worship experience. All of that is just an illustration of how much theology and worship go hand in hand and why we do what we do here at Gateway. Third point, true worship is our response to God's activity on our behalf. True worship is our response to God's activity on our behalf. I want you to look at these verses from Acts 17. From one man, he made a whole nation, they should have it, the whole earth, and he marked out their point. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. God has done what he's done so that we might seek him. Scripture makes it clear that God has shown us who he is through creation, through our own thoughts, through our experiences of him, and primarily in Jesus. The book of Hebrews calls Jesus the exact representation of God's being. But after revealing himself to us, what did we do? We rejected him. And having been rejected by human beings, what did God do? He came after us still. Repeatedly, he wooed us and sought us and finally died for us. In this activity, he creates worship in us. And here's how it works. When we understand our true condition and what God has done on our behalf, like anybody who has been profoundly loved and rescued, we fall in love with God. And because of the nature of our relationship, remember, creator created, we worship him. When we come to understand who we are and what he's done on our behalf, we fall in love with him and we go to relate to him. And in relating to him, the way we relate to him, remember the framework and the rules of engagement, is we worship. Daniel Block puts it like this, true worship involves reactive communication. We could not worship God acceptably if he had not taken the initiative both to communicate with us and to open our eyes to his communication, whether in creation, history, or scripture. True worship is our response to God's activity on our behalf. All God's people said amen. This is why we sing songs about God's word to us, both about how he speaks and about what he says. This is why we also sing so many songs about what God has done on our behalf. In fact, this may be the main theme of our singing, what God has done on our behalf. Let me make a specific comment about 
worship elements here. When we ask someone to pray, for instance, on Sunday morning, and some of you may have been asked or you may be asked at some point, we often give you a theme. And we sometimes even suggest specific wording that you can edit or do with whatever helps you. This is to keep the prayer in line with the themes that we're talking about for, for today so that our worship flows, so that we can edify one another. The same for the songs we sing. The first criteria we use for picking the songs that we sing is do we like them? Is it moving? Is it fun to hear and sing? But it also must pass through the criteria of the themes that we've talked about so far and then the theme for today. And I'm going to have Jordan next week tell us more about how he picks songs. Okay, let's take a break. Let's stand together. So uh, let's do verse and chorus of Come Thou Fount before we go in. Come Thou Fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. All right, choir, let's try this. Again, come thou found. Come thou found. Hold on, hold on, Cassie. So this is an invitation for God to come and join us, right? So we're going to sing, inviting Him to come, and we're saying things about Him as we sing and invite Him to come. Let's try this again. Come. Come thou found. worship are. Help, strength, protection. Let's do that one more time. Here I raise. Give us a little bit of music, Jordan. 
Okay, choir. Oh, to grace, how great a debt. Think about that. We should have had Jason singing that verse during the years that he was wandering. Some of you know Jason's experience. Not because you know Jason, most of you don't, but because you've done it. Keep reading, choir. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. last point in worship is that true worship includes the adulation of the true God. And now we get into the practical part that we begin to. True worship includes the adulation of the true God. The words usually associated with this aspect of worship in the Bible are praise and thanks. Just an example, look at this verse from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Adulation means excessive praise. It means excessive admiration. We are excessive in our thanks and praise to God in our worship. We go above and beyond to express this to Him because of what He's done for us and because of who He is. So there are various forms of thanks and praise mentioned in the Bible. One, one form that's consistently mentioned in Scripture is singing. You'll hear it over and over in the Psalms. Two, another form in Scripture is playing instruments. You remember in Psalm 95 that we read earlier, there was the mention of singing and of playing instruments. This is part of the reason why music is so central to our worship setting here on Sunday mornings at Gateway. And by the way, we also use music because music for many of us is the language of our hearts. Another scriptural form of thanks and praise is shouting. We don't do that much here at Gateway, not because it's inappropriate, just because it's not part of our culture yet. Yet. Occasionally somebody here will shout at Gateway, but we don't do that often because we're a bunch of tamed bourbon American computer engineers. <laughs> Another form of thanks and praise is simply spoken thanks and praise. This is why we sometimes use responsive readings. We'll read the scriptures so much. Another form of thanks and praise is prayer. That's basically telling God how awesome he is. I just finished watching the NBA playoffs, and if any of you were basketball fans or watching the NBA playoffs, you know that when the games were in Cleveland, every time LeBron James went to the foul line, the crowd started shouting, MVP, most valuable player, and he's clearly the best player on the planet. This is what we do when we worship God. We are, in effect, shouting to God, MVP of my life, of what's happened here, of the whole stinking universe. MVP. This is why we sing songs to God. We're in effect saying to Him, MVP. Especially songs that talk about the greatness of God. Alright, so speaking of songs to God and talking about the greatness of God, let's take just a few minutes and do a short worship set. Stand with us again. A little bit of aerobics. Turn to the person next to you and say good morning part of my purpose today is to strengthen you i know it's awkward do it anyway 
no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up. stop when we leave this room that our worship would encompass our whole lives that this corporate part of worship be something we look forward to all week but remind us that we can worship you at any time and in any setting and in so many different forms we don't worship you because you need it worship you because it's how we were made. We were made to worship you and we were most fulfilled when we do that. So give us that fulfillment, give us that peace through worship, give us that protection and that strength. And all God's people said, Amen.